0: Storymakers.
1: Welcome to Story Makers podcast. I'm Elizabeth Stark, and I'm Angie Powers, and we are delighted to be here with Melissa Vignales. Hi, Melissa. Hello. <laughs> bueno. <laughs> and we uh, and <clears throat> let me just uh, tell you a little about Melissa so you can so everybody can know who we're here with. Um, she's also known as Missy Fuego, and she is the author of. Say It With Your Whole Mouth, poems, Um, also she's had work in Without a Net, The Female Experience of Growing Up Working Class, and Baby Remember My Name, New Queer Girl Writing, both of which were edited by Michelle T., as well as the Encyclopedia of Activism and Social Change. And word warriors, 35 women leaders of the spoken word movement, edited by Alex Olson, and also has had word work in Lone Star Quarterly and Ladybox books. She was the first Chicana to win a poetry slam competition in 2002. Has toured with Sister Spit and Body Heat, and gained national recognition for her appearance on NPR and the Lesbian Podcast, and now Storymakers. I <laughs> <laughs> Um, her short film with Jay Aguilar entitled Getting Off won the jury award at the TG Fest, the Los Angeles Transgender Film Festival in 2011. Her second book, a work of fiction titled Life is Wonderful, People are Terrific, will be out in June this month, 2015 on Lady Box Books, which is an imprint of Broken River Books. She, and so we'll be talking a lot about that today. She has a spoken word album and now introducing Missy Fuego, expected to be released on Crunks Not Dead Records in 2015. So, and is that still coming? I'm, I'm hoping it will. I'm <laughs> hoping it will. <laughs> Sounds good. And um, she is a community builder with Confuerza Collective. A radical Chicana feminist collective in the heart of East Los Angeles, where and she lives in Los
2: Angeles. (laughs) And And I've known Elizabeth uh, Powers since like the early, like the late '90s, early 2000s.
1: Yeah, I know
2: that long now. Yes,
1: awesome. And now it turns out (laughs) you now it turns out you went to UC Santa Cruz. Is that right? I did. I I, did. I got my bachelor's at
2: UCSC. Yeah,
1: I don't want to conflate you with your character, but I was like, oh, because Angie <laughs> and I both went to UC Santa Cruz, but I think, uh, well, he, anyway, she went late, and I went early, and maybe you overlapped with her a little bit. <laughs> I know. I we really were all there one point. <laughs> So um, the way we usually start is we talk just a, we each talk a little bit about what we are working on
0: this week. And so, um, Angie, do you want to start? Uh, sure. This week, I'm actually in the middle of trying to develop a story idea around a single location. Um, mm-hmm. I want to do uh, a feature film, a single location feature film. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm working on that story development right now.
2: Yeah. yeah. Very cool, Melissa. Um, what are you working on this week? Um, well, I'm still trying to get my novel done. Uh, the novel's finished, but unfortunately, my editor was sick, and so it will not be released in June. Oh, okay. it's not going to be released in July. So that's that's really what I'm working on is just mm-hmm. getting this novel uh out the door.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, is this like final edits or like copy editing or. Yeah.
2: The yeah. Final, yeah. My, I'm still waiting for my cover confirmation and, mm. and the final, the final, final, final edits. Um, although there's been three drafts now, yeah. the final edits. But yeah, uh-huh. pray <laughs> for me. <laughs> Never end.
1: Yeah, well, it'll be good to. We should get into that a little bit because I think it'll be interesting to people, you know, to to sort of go through the whole process with you. Um, sure. Let's see. I am working on, um, well, I'm, I'm kind of back to juggling two projects. I have a memoir that I finally kind of carved out what it's about, you know, cause there's so much life and so much that kind of thematically can, you take, you pick a theme and then there's so much that can relate to it. So kind of really, okay, what's the, what's my arc in just this story? So I finally think I have that. Mm-hmm. And then I also, while I was struggling with that, pulled out a, an old novel that I'm Kind of also working on, so we'll see if I'm if I can juggle. (laughs) Um, um, So we actually had um, one uh, organized um, student send us some questions ahead of time for you. So, um, so we'll we'll start with. (laughs) You want to start with the first one of those that might actually kind of tie into what Melissa was saying. Um. Shall I start with that, Andrew? Do you want to? Yeah. Why don't you? Um, I'd also put it in the uh, podcast notes um, for you, Angie, if you want to look at the, uh, you know, the Google doc. Um, Right. So, okay. So Lee asks, how do you mentally juggle multiple projects, promotion, submission, editing works in progress and creating new works?
0: (laughs) And still have fun doing it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I would have to say, well, first of all, I live alone. So that helps a lot. Because um, I pretty much, I need, like, I, I just, I can't be disturbed. That's how I'm able to juggle it. I have to be able to have space to concentrate on many things. It's a little hard for me to do that in communal living situations. Um, I know that's not accessible to everybody. So I will tell you what I did do when I was in many communal situations. <laughs> Um, one of the things you have to get out of the house, you basically have to find a place to write. You kind of have to find spaces to do all those things. Where's the space you're going to promote? Where's the space you're going to write? Where's the space you're going to create? Because at the end of the day, when you start conflicting those spaces, you, you just, I think it gets a little messy. Mm -hmm. So often I would always write in my room alone, but I did a lot of promote. I would get out just anywhere. And do all the promotion outside of my home. And that made me feel kind of like I was also like clocking into a workplace. Mm. And then I also got to have control over where I went. So that's why it was fun. That's how I would get away with it. I'd be like, when the Lex was around, I got a lot of work done at the Lex, actually, <laughs> because they had a Wi-Fi connection, and as you guys know, I made getting off, Jeanette and I made getting off at the Lex, so we actually yeah. wrote the treatment at the Lex, so I just yeah. feel like it shouldn't matter if it's a divey dyke bar, or if it's a coffee shop, or if it's just getting on nature, whatever it is, and just stick to it. Just mm-hmm. commit just, I mean, it really, I, it sounds so, so simple, but I mean, it really is going to take a lot of maturity, honestly, creatively to commit. And how about shifting?
1: Gear? I mean, I guess physically, yeah, and so physically going somewhere is part of how you kind of shift gears.
2: Now that changed for me when I became sick. I live with lupus and I am permanently handicapped by the disease. So I walk on a cane. So I had to pretty much decide that I was going to, you know, be home and do this. So it changes. But like with with your creativity, like allow yourself to also look at the promotion process as a creative process. Because you kind of have to approach it the same way. You have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to put in a bunch of work and have it not follow through. You have to be willing to maybe perform or do some things that maybe aren't on the top of your list, but you're willing to do. So it's, I mean, it's just a a matter of, nothing gets in the way of the work. At the end of the day, that has to be number one. Mm -hmm. And then if you can't juggle it, get someone to help you. There's always, I promise you, there's always someone that like literally gets off on doing this, it's weird. Like, they just love being on social media, and love being that, you know, love looking gay. And I'm like, I hate it. So, if you love it and want to do it for me, great. I recently had that because I got a website that way. I don't want to build a website, I don't know anything about doing that. I'm really stupid at it. Someone geeked out on that and did it for me. So, yeah, find spaces to do it, find systems that work for you, commit to them. And if all else fails, find a
0: homie. Yeah. <laughs> that will help yeah. you out. I love that. <laughs> I love. yeah, I mean, all of that. and I love the the sort of set spaces for set activities. I mean, that's exactly what our preschool looks like. You know, there's yes. where the blocks are, there's where the trees for yes. the cars are. Yes. And I remember walking into our preschool and feeling so much more relaxed. And so I like that. Yes. Like, <laughs> this is where I, you know, edit video, and this is where I come up with ideas, and they don't wow. have to be the same place, and that's such a great idea. No no. Yeah. I love that. I now, love she, has a,
1: <laughs> she has kind of a follow up question to that, Lee does. She says, How can you okay. tell the difference between resistance to doing things that are hard and
2: just plain exhaustion? That that requires knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. You really have to look, the only reason I've been able to do this whole writing thing for twenty plus years is because I told myself up front I know I probably will never make a lot of money at this. I'm an American writer. Let's be realistic. Mm -hmm. I know I will probably maybe not even be discovered till I'm dead. That happens to a lot of writers. Okay. Realistic. But I also know the benefits of this practice. It's a practice. I can't stop doing it. So if I can't stop doing it, I might as well commit. So that's the first thing. You have to just know yourself and commit to it. It really, not everybody can be a writer. It's really interesting how people romanticize about this and people don't realize that like, there's no wonder why writers are always like going crazy and killing themselves and like really depressed. You have to really be a strong person to Mm -hmm. accept the amount of rejection that a writer will, will have to face in a career. And it's like, just enjoy it. Just remember that you're doing this to enjoy it. When you're really exhausted, then you have to stop. But you're not going to know unless you know yourself. And deadlines are a reality. If you are going to be a professional writer, if that's what's getting in the way of deadlines is exhaustion or I don't know if it's resistance, it's best to walk away from the project. I did that with my novel. I'm glad I did because it was wearing me out and I didn't know why. But sometimes it was also because I wasn't ready to give it the attention it needed. Right. You know, they always say that writing a book is like the baby. You have to take care of the baby. Mm-hmm. You can't just be expected to take care of you. It's actually an entire world you're creating. So it's, it's very, very um, important that you know yourself and you know how your work. how you work. I'm okay with not writing every day. I'm okay with working on something and coming back to it a year later. That actually works really well for my creative process because I'm a critical thinker and I like to unpack. And I think about a story a lot more often than when I sit to write it. Mm -hmm. So know how you work and accept it. Don't shame yourself. Don't compare yourself. Just stick stick to that. That's why we need to kind of have a little space to ourselves, writers. Mm -hmm remind ourselves that
0: okay it's okay <laughs> we're well, the only one here <laughs> you are talking about like you don't come from a place of like if this isn't the one right oh, you've right. got a whole different set so there's not a there's not a pressure on any individual product to be the project. your pressure. Like, if it's a dissertation, there's
2: pressure. Okay, it depends <laughs> on what you're asking. If the question is, how do I do it? I mean, what am I going to say to you? Well, I don't know, Bebe. You're going to have to decide if you want a doctorate. You're going to have to decide. I mean, I was a professor, and I used to say that to my students all the time. And oh, Well, you're, I guess you're going to have to decide because that's real. That's the university. That's real. Right. But if you're talking about your own work, you, the only pressure that's put on is by yourself. Mm-hmm. you're the only one that decides how much pressure is applied. So when you feel overwhelmed, again, you have to know yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. That's so important. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, let's, you, so we've gotten to read Angie and I have both gotten to read a few chapters of your, of your book and mm-hmm. we're really excited to talk okay. to you about it. But since, since it's not even out yet, can you do your little like, you know, one minute spiel about what it's about?
2: <laughs> it is called Life is Wonderful." People Are Terrific. Um, it's kind of a punk rock Chicana uh, coming-of-age story that takes place in the 90s in Santa Cruz and San Francisco. Uh, it follows our hero, Missy Fuego, um, who ends up getting a scholarship to go to a fancy school in Santa Cruz, but it's not, it's not all perfect, and she ends up having to strip to pay the bills. On top of that, she's coming out. She's experiencing all sorts of transitions, and of course, there is the '90s, which was a very rich time for us. As you know, for like Dyke culture especially, it was yeah. a very rich time, especially in that in that area. So it's it's um, I think it's a fun read. It's uh, you know, I would agree with there's a, there's definitely thank you. There's definitely some pain in there, but I really I I, I really uh. Love Missy Fuego more than ever. 18-year-old Missy Fuego is my homegirl. <laughs> <laughs> <So> would <what laughs> you describe this as like I never autobiographical? I <laughs> <laughs> um, it's autobiographical, but it is fiction. It is, it is a fictional novel. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, is, it was drawn from the first year that I landed in the Bay Area, 18 years old, 1996, in Santa Cruz and San Francisco. And can you talk about kind so, yeah. of using, using life material, but um,
1: whether it's giving yourself permission to invent, but also maybe needing to create the form of
2: a plot? Like, can you talk about that relationship between film um, our- That's a good question. I didn't start writing a novel. I wrote this as an individual short story that I read at a show called Perverts Put Out, which is an erotic showcase of writers put on by Dr. Carol Queen and Simon Shepherd and Lori Selke. And it happens at the Center for Sex and Culture in San Francisco. And I wrote the story in regards to Anarchy, which was the chapter about me and the gutter punk girl um, turning tricks with babas and stuff. Um, right. it, is, it really <laughs> is the most hilarious story. I, it, it, only because Not only because that's one of the stories that is true, but one of the stories that just really I forgot, you know, mm-hmm. about that time. It was after that that people were like, "You should really write into that." And I didn't. I didn't think I had the patience for a novel. I've never written one before. Hard enough to do short stories. I fictionalized it to make it easier to write about myself. I thought doing it as a memoir. Um, I felt like doing it as a memoir. I. I. I to be honest, felt less honest. Mm. I felt like I really had to write a certain type of life experience, especially being Chicana. When that Chicano feminist, when that identity is so linked to being a role model and mm. to having a message. And so I thought, I need to fictionalize this so I can say whatever the hell I want mm. and still tell the truth at the same time. But I get to get away with it. No one really knows what's true, no one really knows what isn't. But like a really good friend of mine always said, it's all true even if it ain't. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So it's all that's true. how I made the right. Even if it ain't. And, uh, and, and she's right. And she's, she's right. You know, I, so what I did was I reconciled it by deciding, I'm just going to write a bunch of stories and I'm going to see how they speak to each other. And I thought it was going to be a collection of short stories, not a novel, but I came to realize that all the same people kept coming up, all the same themes, all the same. And when I presented Mm -hmm. it to be published, I presented it as a novel, which was a huge risk. I had no idea if they would take and it, and it got taken. So then I was like, oh, now I really got to write a <laughs> <So. laughs> novel. Oh, I it, was yeah. like, oh, I really have to commit to this thing I did. <laughs> That's a Good way, good way to be talking about commit. Here's, here's a way yeah. to force it. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I'm onto something. I'll finish what I started, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So that's how I reconciled it. That's that's really how I did. Fictionalize it. Just find what gives you more freedom. Some people, that would be my answer to that question. That's great. It gave me more freedom to write fiction than to write a memoir. Yeah. So I went with what made me more free, because at the end of the day, freedom is where you tell the truth.
0: Hmm. Right.
2: Hmm. That's, and how, how about so kn- I just decided. You know, how, how about knitting?
1: how about knitting those stories together into a novel like did you did you pull some of the events apart and interweave them or did you try to make more how did, what did you do to kind of do that
2: you remember i really did it today, and me angie i don't know if you can relate but a lot of filmmakers um elizabeth they make things in pieces they don't ever make like the beginning the middle the end i mean it's usually like a concept and so I really approached this like a film. I was like, all right, well, I had the concept. I wanted to write about Missy Fuego. I wanted to write about Santa Cruz, San Francisco, all these things. Had all these stories. Then I went back and I approached it like a film. Well, where's the story now? Because mm-hmm. that's the concept, but where's the story, the truth? And I realized that the story and the truth was really Missy Fuego. It was that character, that girl, that it wasn't just like the placement, if that makes sense. So that made me realize, okay, now I can come up with a plot. Now I can kind of come up with a sequence. Now that I know she's the story and I have the concept, let me just focus on telling this one year of her life from beginning to end. That will be the plot.
0: Mm-hmm. The plot will
2: unfold. And it did. I mean, there, like, it's like I'm sure you can relate Elizabeth writing a memoir. Things just keep unfolding. You're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then it just kind of came together. But once I had decided that she was the story and it was going to be that one year, summer 96 to summer 97, the plot revealed itself Mm. because I knew of the growth that had occurred that year. And I knew like, oh, I could take like, that's easy to write into to me. There's, There's just some freedom there. So the plot revealed itself. I just basically decided, okay, she needs to, she can't have it all wrapped up at the end. But, but she has to have that, that growth. That's what she, that was what was important about her story. Right. She changed. She changed. So I identified that that was the story. And so my plot was I had to show how she changed. But it took like several steps to do that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: totally. It makes so much sense. And it's so, it's funny because... You know, it can sometimes sound artificial to say, you know, story is about character change. But right. but that is
2: it's like that's why we it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's too bad. It's really look, my one of my favorite writers is Charles Bukowski. And everyone's always surprised by that as a Chicano feminist that he would be one of my favorite writers. But I'm gonna tell you something about him. There's no one that knows how to write about place. Or, or an anti-hero like Charles Bukowski. And he did the same thing. He fictionalized himself. He was Hank Chinaski. He created a world where he could actually show that character development. Mm-hmm. And I really value that. And a lot of L.A. writers are really centered around people. Like even films that are in L.A., if you notice that, it's always around the people. You know, you don't even really need like a super crazy plot. These people in all their crazy eccentricness, will create the drama on their own. It's all about telling a story. They will. They are, I mean, come on. What are the odds that this character, Missy Fuego, would be in Santa Cruz? Like, of course she's gonna encounter these hippies. Of course she's gonna have a reaction. It's like, it's hardwired into the story. I just need to draw it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we also we were talking about having, you know, for people who are not do, drawing so um, autobiographically, the truth is you have set up characters who have inherent conflict. Correct. So, you know, you have a character in a situation, um, for better or for worse, that character, you had some experiences like that, um, <laughs> right? Well, basically, so, you, you could arguably say I cheated, and I don't have any problem
2: saying that. I didn't, like, sit and go, I'm going to write a novel and create entirely new characters, an entirely new world. Like... I, you know, yeah, in a way, I had it a little easy because I already had everything written. But
0: like you're saying, Angie. Yeah, no, I just, I think it was, it's a wonderful looking at, um, you you referenced the scene with the Baba, right? Right. (laughs) Ultimate privilege, ultimate like money. You guys are coming from under, sorry, Missy's coming from under the bridge, you know, with anarchy. Like the differences from where all these people are coming from have inherent conflict. And so putting them together, by definition, is going to propel something. So, um,
2: absolutely. Yeah. absolutely.
0: And that also, like, yes, it also just like opened the door
2: to, to like, you know, I don't know, anything can happen. You know what I'm saying? So it could have been, you know, anarchy could have stayed in the story, but I'm, um, you know, she didn't. <laughs> and it felt good like every layer was like a layer that she was shedding to get to that right. closer. Oh. Yeah, yeah that's how i reconciled it <laughs> well and the truth is even when you're taking
1: things from life you're still leaving so much out i'm mean, so you have to oh, yeah, kidding.
2: <laughs> so you're absolutely yeah absolutely i left i mean there was a lot of like in, in the beginning, like, with the, I talk a lot about Riot Girl in there because that was, like, the first exposure to feminism before Chicana feminism was because was I was in punk culture. But there was a lot of conflicting realities with being, like, Chicana and, like, being around women of color and dealing with these white girls. from <laughs> very, you know, suburban, middle-class lifestyles. And, and there was so much more that I could have unpacked there that was actually so important to me it just didn't fit the story. Mm -hmm. It just didn't anymore. It just, you know, and again, it's like, again, I made the choice to let Missy change. I don't think that really was promoting it, if that made any sense. So, you know, just decide, I would say like, if you're going to write about real life, you know, you're still, like you said, Elizabeth, you're still making those choices. Don't ever abandon the story. Don't forget the story. You know, if you can make up events to fill it in, great. Mm-hmm. If you can't, then, you know, don't go there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't, it, you know, go go to where the story is. <laughs> now, how about like poetry and, and the
1: slam world performance? Like, how does that kind of play into to your writing?
2: It's all about telling a story. And you only have three minutes to do it. Mm. That's it that's that's really what Slam is. It's a bar sport. It's three <laughs> minutes. Anything goes. We're gonna judge you right to your face. You know, this is what we think of your work. It really is almost like boot camp for a lot of writers now. That's what Slam has become. and i I'm glad Slam's getting a lot more credit than it than it it didn't get in the past. I think people used to write Slam off. And now it's like, no, like seriously, you know, You really want to know what it'll be like for your life as a writer do slam, just do it for a couple months and then now multiply that by your life. Mm -hmm. Like you're always like, you might not be looking at those people in a room all the time, but that's what happens. You send a manuscript, they're sitting there. It's yes or no. And you got to hit them hard, like really fast. Like I would say like poetry and slam taught me to have feelings. Mm -hmm. Talk about feelings and tell a story. And that is the framework for publishing books. Mm. Wow. I mean, people read books to be touched. People yes. read stories. They, We can all sit here and say, there is a story that we remember and, and that, and it's is powerful, not just because we remember it, but because that's the nature of it to be memorable. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, if you were to say, you know, I mean, it's so funny. I can remember the stories in books. So dear to me. I think about that when I write. Like, ah, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. You know? So, poetry and slam encourage that. Now, when you're, really in did. Room, was, when you're in the
1: bar, the room, and you're performing, you're, you, you must be, like, feeding on the audience and kind of responding to what they respond to. I mean, but you also have what you're intending to give them you know, I'm, so I'm kind of interested in, in your relationship with the audience in that moment. And then as you're talking about it, how that then morphs to when you're writing your own manuscript, but maybe giving it to readers and getting it back. You know, how, do you pl- how do you, in both places, incorporate
2: other people's reactions and thoughts without you know, losing your own vision? Well, I read a lot of those chapters. I would actually read them. So it's important to continue to read your work. And to start giving feedback as you're creating the novel or creating the project. Like I I it really, really saddens me these people who just don't think that's important. I I really I I really pity them because there's no other way if you're gonna and it also depends on what you're writing. Okay, my writing has always been set up to be community oriented and I really want to I really want to connect. That really is my, some writers write to escape. They don't Mm want to connect. They write for escape. They create such elaborate, beautiful freaking escapes. You don't even realize you're not in reality anymore. Mm -hmm. You think it's a reality. Okay? I'm not that type of writer. I write to connect. You know? And I write to heal, as cheesy or hippie as it sounds. I write to heal. Like, that's, so half the time, I'm not even thinking about how this is going to be received. I'm just trying to deal with it myself, mm-hmm. but I always read my work, always. And that's one thing Slam taught me was you got to take your work to the streets. You can't just be expecting to not have some sort of insight into how it's being received, especially if you're talking about issues like being queer and coming out. You know, you really have to be current. like you know, even some of the language, like 90s language, like there were people uncomfortable with the word dyke being used so much in the book. And I'm like, you got to understand, like that word (laughs) empowered us. Like we were dyke, 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 dyke dyke all over the place. Like, you know, we weren't, we didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, we do. (laughs) We still do, you know, but that was very 90s to just be like, to just do that and it was normal. And like, but I had to read that aloud and remember, oh, okay, but my novel's gonna be read by an audience that's 20 years younger than me. Mm. Like, the, the, the target audience for this book is 18 to 25, and mm. I'm almost forty. So I have to remember, like, th- this is gonna be a culture shock for them. Like, whoa, so that's an example. So continue to read your work. Slam, the energy with slam, it's the same thing. You have to read people. And you can't just feed off of the audience's energy. You have to give them energy. that's the only way it works they don't they look elizabeth you go to a slam those audience members are not there to support you they're there for you to prove something to them Mm -hmm. so when you get up there you have to earn their trust within the first 30 seconds of the three minutes and then once you've earned that they feel like you've given them energy and then they give it back to you it's the same thing with writing a book Mm -hmm. you have to look at that book and you have to be honest with yourself and give it that same 30 seconds that you would expect an audience and then go, okay, commitment. I think people treat books like orphan children. <laughs> they abandon them. You know. How many of us start some shit and, like, and we feel so guilty about it. We're like, oh, the novel that's in the drawer and we haven't seen it in so many. And it's like haunts us. You know, it haunts mm-hmm. us. I feel like that's a way for me not to be haunted. I'm like, okay, I need to just recognize, like, I'm going to have to give in order to receive the energy. I can't just feed
0: off of Does that make sense? So sure. it's also such, it's, it's a beautiful way to sort of put another thing that we often hear, right? You have X amount of time and it doesn't almost matter what your art is. You have X amount of time to capture your audience's attention. And after that, they're yes. gone. And they're I... Yeah. And I really prefer this framework of you have a window of opportunity to give to your audience. You know, there's something yeah. there's, it takes the desperation out of it. It takes the yeah. uh, neediness out of it. It allows you to be kind of your better self and maybe take more like, this is the thing I think is awesome about my story. And I want to give that to you. Um, and actually that's and I just appreciate, you know, the very, um, I think a lot of people want to be writers without necessarily thinking about art or where our values come together in those things. And I think, it, you know, looking over your body of work and what you continue to do, that your values are really front and center in in your work and, you. and the stories. And I think that that's also such a wonderful and inspirational thing for um, people because it's so easy to look at art as, as a... Commodity, rather than a community uh, endeavor. Yes. So I really like that.
2: Exactly, and you have to write from what you know first before you start making up worlds. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's just my. I mean, people can argue with me and disagree. That's totally fine. But I also was a professor of creative writing, and I will tell you, like, look, you can't create world and do that whole suspension of disbelief until you are honest about your. Uh, and do you write about things you know? Mm-hmm. That's the only way. When you write about things you know, then you're like, okay, I know exactly what my strengths are. I can create place. I can create this. I can do this, and then you know you can create, make stuff up, because it has to be believable, right? Yes. It still has to be believable. <laughs> well, this is related
1: to Lee's, but Lee's final question that she emailed us ahead of time, which she said, "How can I become a better reader?"
2: And I'd love to get into also uh, what, you, what you know, what you Mm-hmm. I love that question. Like, seriously, I mean that. That is so close to my heart. Only because so many writers don't read, and I'm like, what is <laughs> doing? Like, that's like being a musician and being like, yeah, I don't listen to music, man. I just create. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, well, that's that's cool, I guess. But how, like, you know, I mean. You got to read. So I love the whole thing, like, how can I become a good reader? Like that whole question shows right there that you're valuing reading as well as creating. And that's integral to being a writer. Because how are you going to attract readers if you don't know how to be one yourself? And to be a better reader means to at least, I always, this is me. I always try to read at least one book that if i'm working on a project when i was working on my novel i made sure to make sure that i was that i was remembering novels that i liked mm. and to kind of go kind of see see as comfort food does that make sense mm-hmm. that how that's how you become a better reader is when you start looking at books as refuge rather than work mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with writing books they need to be a refuge not your work the more you keep that's why i'm like okay yeah body of work I, I call it a body of refuge like I'm always like trying to find a home in there hmm. so like sometimes just take that word work out of it and take the word reader out of it how do I become you know a better listener how do I become you know a better you know uh, how do I have a better memory of things that's also what reading teaches you so I would say to become a better reader start reading things that are comfort that are like comfort food for you and that really are a refuge for you to become a better reader, don't start listening from a place of uh, creation rather than of a place of criticism. Um, we're so quick to decide, I like this, I don't like this, heard this before, haven't heard this before. Sometimes you just got to go, okay, I'm, I'm reading this for the purposes of how to create worlds. I see a lot of this. Okay, better reader. So just pick books you like, comfort food, um, I love what Lynn Breedlove always says, give yourself like an art date mm. that's also how I became a better reader I basically went on a date and would read and that was what I did on my art date and that made me a better reader making time to do it yeah
0: <laughs> I have to it. framing it as a date <laughs> framing it as a date I'm like wait yeah, I,
2: yeah. I, you know, like making time to do it, man. I just wow, I can really procrastinate and talk myself out of it.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I really have to clean under the fridge, and now it's becoming such a need in my mind. You know what I mean? Like I'll be yeah. like, I should just go under the fridge instead of finish the chapter. I can't stop thinking about under the fridge now. I should mm-hmm. just go under the fridge. It's Like right. it's that. Like. <laughs> mm-hmm. If that makes sense at all. <laughs> that's very good. yeah um let's eat sleep better readers what are you guys reading are you guys reading Uh, at all you mean as a class or individually just individually what are you reading i'm still i'm rereading joan didion's the year of magical thinking that Uh book is like a prayer i feel like it gets dropped in my lap every time i'm supposed to like pull my head out of my ass <laughs> 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 and remember what's important to me. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I'm a writer. Oh, yeah. oh, I, I just, I just, I
1: just, <laughs> I just read that a couple months ago. Do you, have you read Blue Nights? The, the one about oh, her book?
2: Wow. Unbelievable. My There's also died. a, Chik-
0: <laughs>
2: oh, I do love stuff about, read Paula, um, uh, from, Isabel uh, I oh, Isabel Yes, I am a I'm telling you, there's still, to this day, no other book about that ever. Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually got it from yeah, cool. like, yeah. the library. I got
1: Paula from the library, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't handle this. And I haven't read Blue Nights yet, because, yeah. but I did read The Year of Magical Thinking, which I thought was amazing. Because it's easier yeah. for you to think about...
0: <laughs> um, what are you saying here? Like, you're really open to losing your spouse? Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. <laughs>
2: whoa. I just, and I'm single, too. And I was just like, I'm so glad I'm doing this right now. This is like, I will be so responsible. My next relationship. I do thought. like It just, it's so silly. But it's also like the relationship to creation and how she like carved out this relationship to... Her own creative self, in relationship to other people, I thought it was so beautiful. Yes. So it's, I would say, be a, to become a good reader also means talk about books, talk about what you're reading, talk about it to anyone who listens to you. <laughs> that's how you become a better reader. As a critical look, Chicana feminists are. I love women of color feminisms because they love critical thinking. It's like it's like soul food to them they're like no we have to unpack so talk about books talk mm-hmm. about what you're reading that's how you become a better reader yeah. you sometimes need to hear how you're how you're processing the the with the material mm-hmm. yeah. that's great well we are at the place where we
1: do our steal this um i whatever I the word yeah. segment um and we look yeah. at with the idea that professional Poets. Um, I think T. S. Eliot said, "Professional poets borrow. No, amateur poets borrow. Professional." How it goes? So, um, so, anything that you came across recently that you want to steal and make your own, incorporate into your own work, Melissa? Do you have anything?
2: We oh my go. gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I I really do. Uh, I really do want to. It really made me realize I want to publish books more. So I want to try to write another novel, and I want to steal some. <laughs> I want to steal some some really just good, not ideas, just really like smart ideas, like of how to do stuff. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I'm really, I'm really looking to steal kind of people's, uh, uh, I guess, uh, process. <laughs> you're trying to steal yours today so I know it's Good. so fabulous because, I mean you, you know everything in nature steals so it's yeah. okay
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs>
2: how about you Angie is
0: anything you've come across recently you want to steal um yeah I'm often thinking about like how to generate fun ideas for short small projects things that are oh, sort okay. of concise and um I saw this website where a designer was given the task of you take a title of a book and you remove one letter and then, and then you make the cover for it. So the designer had to make the cover for it, but it, there were so many funny titles that were, came out of it. But what I liked about it was that it made you look at that story idea in a different way. So, um, I'm trying to remember what some of the titles were. Um, (sighs) Got you. Well, the one that comes to mind is inappropriate, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say it's uh, it's it's a revision of the Count of Monte Cristo. So you can take one of the letters out of the word count, um, and and so that makes it a whole different thing, right? Like if that's the title, what okay. is that story? Okay. And you just I suddenly
2: done done that. The blank of money, Krista, is so bad. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) That is so. Okay, the the one that I remember is also
1: like uh, dirty for some reason, which was the Nancy Drew one, like the mystery of the old. And they took one more a clock, and they took one. It was the mystery of the old clock,
0: is what it was. Yes, and they had a rooster on the clock
1: holding a rooster, but um, they were not all actually (laughs) You know, or whatever. They they weren't even all about sex. They were just...
0: But the idea was that it really switched the way you saw that story. And, you know, so many people you know, like, you know, a thousand acres. What is that? The Thousand Acres? Is that the story? Yeah. So, just... So you, okay. you're, people rewrite Shakespeare and do these different things, and you're sort of like, hey, well, how? what would be an interesting way to do that? And apparently a really great way to get to a new idea off of an old story, take a letter out of the title, and then <laughs> yeah. what do you have? And and play with that. <laughs> so... Um, uh, oh, so, well, I'll just quickly say
1: it. So uh, um, a friend of ours who does life coaching led me through a trance recently, um, like a, a kind of a to, to talk with myself 20 years older you know, and she Uh she did the whole kind of like, how I close my eyes and relax and then, you know, go through a door and there's a beautiful place and another door and, and, uh, and and anyway, and, and I and it was so vivid for me. Like I went and I sat and I had this whole conversation. It was like beautiful and amazing. And things came up that I didn't know beforehand. And, and I thought like this, in a way, is what writing is. When you really give yourself over to it, like we can just go anywhere we need to. And, you know, just like when we dream, like we, we don't say to ourselves, well, I've never been to, you know, whatever, Morocco, so I can't have a dream there, right? We just yeah. <laughs> okay. And so I love that. So I've been actually kind of searching around for trances that kind of take you into the to the writing and and not finding so i'm actually thinking of of just making one
0: (laughs) What you were talking about you know earlier like in your dream you you know you can go to morocco even though you've never been there but the truth is you also have the opposite experience of going into your house and knowing it's not your house right right? you know that there's something wrong with it so sort of interesting that um the, what, you know, one of the things that, um, uh, Micheline Markham taught me when I was getting my MFA was, to, you know, fiction takes the familiar and makes it strange or it takes the strange and makes it familiar. And mm-hmm. and your trance is, is kind of a way to do that. To do both. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a few yeah. more comments from the, from the audience here. Um, one is, um, One is if it's not an option, living alone or even going out or if you just don't feel like it. She said, how about changing your spatial cues, putting things in order at the end about each activity, for example. So she just had that. Yeah, that's a good suggestion yeah she also mentioned she's reading uh to show this is melanie she's reading to show and to tell the craft of literary nonfiction,
2: and that paula is on her list so uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. It's, it, it will literally rip your heart out just warning you <laughs> <Have> <laughs> it's that. a beautiful yeah. story <laughs> um and um so melissa
1: where can people find you and when your book is out uh find your book can you give us your you know your
2: so life is Yeah. So right now I do live with lupus and I'm also handicapped right now. I'm actually, you know, very realistically not on disability. Uh, I've been denied Mm. and I'm in a limbo right now. So I'm kind of homebound. So I put out a chapbook, which I do as a basic needs fundraiser for myself. It has a new short story and two poems. Um, While I do get some services, I don't get cash and I, and I, I have not, I have no income still um, due to the fact that I can't get a job. So this is a way for me to generate income and I also bookbind and make them myself. So PayPal at MissyFuego.com. The chapbook is life is uh, the chapbook is uh, You Smell Like Danger and it's five dollars. And I also have a novel coming out on Lady Box books in this summer called Life is Wonderful, People are terrific. It'll be available online through Lady Box, Amazon. And at a bookstore near you, and MissyFuego.com has finally been created. So I officially have my own website. Thank you, Patricia Delgado, for making that. MissyFuego.com can tell you all the details. Excellent. Um,
0: all right, good. Well, I have, I have, is is uh, does Missy Fuego have your chat book on it? How does someone it, get? It? Yeah, you okay. it actually have a, a whole place. yep, it, okay,
2: and great. you can just go through there. It gives you all the info, and. Um, and yeah, I love that suggestion at the end to just organize your stuff and I love it. However you can find that space, find it. Yeah, find I think it. you have yeah. given
1: us so so much permission and, and encouragement to like get out there and do it. And I and we're all yeah. so excited about your novel.
0: And your I Right in your
1: bathroom <laughs> and um, right oh, yeah. you shut Yeah, that's good. Right in your bathroom. Go ahead and- yeah I know I love that yeah. so I also I forgot to say this but we have one we had one email about last week following up from two weeks ago um, Bree wrote in and said thank you so much for this podcast subject this was the uh, Rona Barron the life coach she said it really hit home for me a direct portal to my procrastinator self we'll have that needed conversation with her so Bree was really appreciated that one and um, and this has just been thrilling Melissa
0: so exciting thank so you inspiring. so much
2: really inspiring awesome um, this is the first promo i've done for the book is this podcast so Great. thank you for having me i hope i was um i hope i was making sense and i was uh, you know We're a, good, a good sport you're a wonderful sport we look forward to the book and
1: we look forward to maybe seeing you out reading from it yes absolutely thank you so much thank you Lisa. thank you. Uh, bye, bye. bye. bye.